everyone wants to stand up, let's go with our second week of Advent, looking at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And we'll be in here for the next two weeks, so if you want to just sit in this little passage for the next two weeks, you can. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Father, we thank you for this morning and this time to be together. We pray a blessing on this time. Lord, we ask that you open our hearts and minds to your spirit. And may your spirit work in us and transform us more into your image. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Second week of Advent. I'm going to look at uh, a portion of love in the next two weeks over these uh, verses in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Uh, the first one is peace. Love is peace. And I was reading from uh, an excerpt from a book called Exclusion and Embrace by Miroslav Volf. And he tells a story about a phone conversation between two friends in 1992. One of the men left Sarajevo before the Bosnian War in 1992 and joined the Serbian War that was, uh, the, and joined the Serbian side. Uh, the Serbian army at the time was shelling Sarajevo. He said to his other friend during the phone conversation, and this friend who had remained in Sarajevo and whose apartment would be destroyed by the shelling of the Serbian army. He said this, there's no choice. It's either us or them. Clarifying what he meant, he said, either we will inhabit this place or they will. Either we will destroy them or they will destroy us. There's no other option available. And it's that quote that he says right there, no other option available. It's either us or them. It's kind of a striking but true saying in a world that has gotten really, really good at conflict. I mean, this is 1992, and think about what's happened since 1992. I mean, we see it played out on the grand scale of the story with the Bosnian War, and even today with the war in Ukraine. We also see, though, playing out on a smaller level. We see it playing out in our cities. We see it playing out in our neighborhoods. And we see it playing out within our families. Whatever the conflict, the world has taught us how to play the game when it comes to conflict. There's no alternative to this way of thinking when it comes to conflict. It's how we come to think about it. There can be a winner and there can be a loser. And that's it. That's how we play the game. And all the world feels like a game of winners and losers and us versus them. And there is no alternative. It's just Cain and Abel playing itself out one year after another throughout all of the human history. And again, like we talked about last week, the struggle of sin entering into the world in Genesis 3 has brought with it also a struggle of war and peace. It was a good novel. In fact, throughout the story, throughout the story that we read in Scripture, we read about the difficulty of peace, the difficulty of finding peace. 
Left to our own devices, human beings have always struggled with peace. We really do. I mean, there's no escaping the truth that we as human beings struggle with peace. We have seen war after war in our generation. My kids have seen war after war in their generation. And more than we can imagine, but it's always been there. It's always hovering, this idea of conflict over us like a dark cloud. Peace feels fleeting. Peace feels like an idea. But it feels more like an idea than an actual realistic stance or uh, place. In our own lives, think about this. We search for peace. I was just reading an article uh, the other day that came out again today, this morning. And it spoke about um, our children's brains during the pandemic and how it's aged their brains not in a good way. It's aged their brains with anxiety and stress, which leads to to, uh, depression and other things. But we get this. When we read that, I think about there's this peace we're always looking for just inside of ourselves that we struggle to find. And when there's these uh, external things that impinge upon us, that press against us, we struggle to find peace in those moments. And so we look for peace. We look for peace against those things that push against us, whatever it is, whether it's work or pressure, whether it's uh, work and family, whether it's societal pressures, you know, to be something other than your true self. And I know I keep saying it, but there's the political pressure as well. I mean, there's pressures from every side, people telling you what you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to think, what you're supposed to think about, who you're supposed to not like, who you're supposed to like. All of this pushes against us. And so peace from the internal conflict with ourselves, but peace from an external conflict with others, we can't seem to catch a break. It's continually we see played out in Scripture. And we see it beginning in Genesis 3. We're going to go back for a few minutes. Genesis 3, remember this, beginning in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures, Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We see in the curse of Genesis 3, as sin enters into the world, that enmity is going to be this thing, that conflict is going to be this thing, that struggle is going to be this thing. Peace will be a difficult thing to come by in us and between us. And I think the only way we really think about peace in these days is from that conversation between two friends in the Bosnian War. We have to win the conflict, and then we'll find some peace. But you flip over 1,200 pages in your Bible, and that's what it is. It's about 1,200 pages. And we continue to see the struggle for peace. It hasn't changed. From Genesis 4, which, from Genesis 3, which is on page 4 of my Bible, 
to page 1200 when we get to the letter to the Corinthians. The Corinthian church is still struggling for peace. The context for our passage during Advent in 1 Corinthians 13, we see it played out in this, what's going on in 1 Corinthians 11, 17-22. That which we just finished, the Lord's Supper. Now in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for your worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it, Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it's not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry and another becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you, not, or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. We see that strife towards one another has even happened inside the Lord's Supper. Some get and some don't at the table. There is peace for those who get everything because there will be some who will get nothing at the table. A table of peace, a table that we just talked about, a table of peace has been transformed into a table of dissension and conflict. The same story that we read in Cain and Abel and the same story that we read in the curse of Genesis 3 is still happening. In Corinth. And as you read all this, I can imagine, because I felt the same way this week, everything feels a, lot, a bit hopeless, does it not? You're probably saying, this is a great sermon, Russell. It's a great Christmas sermon. This is giving all of us the warm, fuzzy feelings right now. But that's the beauty of Advent. And as we'll see every week, is that if we were left to our own devices, that we would still be in this place. But we were not left with this struggle for peace to figure out ourselves. The beauty of Advent is the ongoing reminder that God is, did, and will continue to not play by the same rules that we just spoke about. That God doesn't play by even the rules of Genesis 3. That God doesn't play by the rules of Cain and Abel. And that God doesn't play by the rules of the Corinth church. There is an alternative way to peace. When the man in Sarajevo says there is no alternative, Scripture says there is, altern there is an alternative. The season that we're in today says that there is an alternative to peace in the world. And this is where, in the words of my son Isaac, when talking about the birth of Jesus, and uh, last week, Laurie was reading him the story of Jesus out of Luke, and if we ever read the story to our kids, we have to realize it can be a little strange. I mean, try to tell a six-year-old what a virgin birth is. Try to explain to a six-year-old what a virgin is. Try to explain to a six-year-old what a fiancé is, what divorce is. And he looks at my wife as she's trying to talk about this and goes, Mom, can we just get to the good stuff? I don't think he's too wrong there. Can we just get to the good stuff? If Advent is anything, it is the beginning of the arrival of the good news, the gospel. And, and once more, we begin to look back and see that, that God is doing something. Now, I think we forget about it at times. 
But what we begin to read in Advent is God is not capricious and God is not fickle. And unlike the gods that we have read beginning in Genesis, unlike the gods of the ancient Near East, unlike the gods of Egypt, unlike the gods of Rome, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob does not need a pound of flesh for his peace. If we remember, most of the gods leading up into this time are fickle gods. The Roman gods were capricious when you read their stories. They played with humankind however they wanted to play with humankind. And they made certain people do certain things in order to get certain things. But as we begin to read, and as we see Advent in this season, we read that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob does not need a pound of flesh. When God announces God's self to Moses, again, going backwards, God announces who God was, is, and will be for all time. And I think sometimes we forget about that. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. I want to read it out of the message this week because I like how the message says it. But get this. This is who God says God is in Exodus, right? So Genesis 3 We have, there's going to be conflict, there's going to be struggle, and peace is going to be difficult. And then in Exodus 34, God says, but let me tell you what I'm about. God passed in front of him and called out, God, God, a God of mercy, a God of grace, endlessly patient, so much love, so deeply true, loyal in love for a thousand generations, for giving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. We get a picture of love which is peaceful and not harsh. A love that is long-suffering and not vindictive. It's a love that is peace. And within this peace, we witness in the coming of a child. But get this with the coming of a child. It's not a child of noble birth. The Son of God did not come from some aristocracy like we would think that most kings would come from. And if it's true that peace comes through might, then it would make sense for Jesus to come from one of the great houses in the Jewish tradition, one of the powerful houses in the Jewish tradition. And yet we witness the Creator God coming into the world as a vulnerable child in Bethlehem in a manger. In Christ we see and witness the way of love. And the way of love is peace. It is a love so deep, And so true that God is willing to go to the extreme for it. God is willing to go to the extreme to make peace with us. To show us a different way than the no alternative us versus them game. All the ways and schemes of the world that says that that the only way to bring peace is by force and armed forces and sheer might. God shows us a different way, that it comes in a child, and it comes in the most powerful of creators, taking on flesh. And as we read Paul's characteristics of love, what it is not, as we see in here, as Paul says what it is not, it is not chaos, and it is not conflict. It's not rude, it's not arrogant, it's not boastful. Notice what he says, it's not these things. It's not irritable or resentful doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. It doesn't even insist on its own way. Everything that sin did to the world, Christ's love will do the opposite. Christ's love entering into the world will replace this game of chaos with peace. Advent is the arrival of that love that can conquer all the games and schemes of the world. It announces that a new peace is in the air and a new peace is on the move. And it will not be a peace based on winners and losers. For us as the people of God who who are looking for, and for the people of God who are looking for peace in their time, 
They were looking for a piece of security, of land, and a king. They sought a peace that would overturn Rome. They sought a peace that would, by force and blood, kick out a certain group, right? To bring in their group. And that this would only happen when the Gentiles were removed. But I was reminded reading Ephesians 2, that as Paul writes, Paul says that Christ has come to bring the two, the Gentile and the Jew, together. That Christ has come to bring peace among those two groups that were had enmity towards one another. And it's only through Christ that we can find that peace. And so that's the kind of peace we want to be as a people. That's the kind of peace we want as an individual. We think that if only this or that would go our way, then everything would be better. It's a peace bound to another. It's a, it's a peace that can only happen if we blame one person. Have you ever known that? If we can get rid of this one person, if we can get rid of this one thing, then I'll have peace. As if that person holds all of your peace. And so it's like we're allowing, as I've said numerous times to people, we're allowing other people to live rent-free in our heads and saying, unless we get rid of them, they're the problem. It's a scapegoating thing, right? Our peace only happens after we really get rid of someone, after we blame someone. But it's not true peace. It may be a small time of quiet, but it's conditional. It's based on a person. It's based on a thing. It's based on the way we do something. But, but here's what I'm thinking, and here's what I'm seeing as we look at the life of Jesus, as we look at Advent and what's happening here and, and the life that Jesus will live, what we notice is that Jesus was the great scapegoat. Jesus bore it all. He bore all the scapegoating. He bore all the blame. He bore all the sin. And on the cross, do you remember what he said? Forgive them. They do not know what they do. In the moment on the cross, we see that, that everyone who thought that it was because of Jesus that they didn't have peace, Jesus offers peace back in the worst possible moment. And says, forgive them. And this is the kind of love that is not dependent upon someone else. It's a love, and here it's a good news, that can pierce through the chaos of life. It's a peace that can be with us even in the most tumultuous of times. This is a love that can bear all the enmity of Genesis 3. This is a love that can bear the violence, the chaos, the disputing, the blame game. It's a love that can enter into the chaos and that can bear the chaos and it can defeat the chaos. Colossians 1.20 tells us this. It doesn't tell us that. It tells us this. Colossians 1.20 says, And through him was was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. It's a kind of love that is so sure of itself and so endlessly patient, Exodus 34, that peace can be found in all circumstances of life. Advent is the beginning of love without strings attached to it or demands made on it. A peace without demands. It is a love shaped by the image of Jesus. It's a love dripped in the peace of the Savior. Advent reinterprets love with peace. Because we have the love of the Savior, then we have an alternative to an us-versus-them way of living. It's a love that made peace with us long before we ever made peace with God. It is a love that made peace with us in the most amazing and audacious of ways. It's God who took the initiative, not us. It's God who wrapped God's self in flesh 
to become like us. It's nothing we did. This is the Philippians 2 hymn being played over and over again. It's this Philippians 2 hymn that says it's God who decided to be like us. And so therefore, Advent is the arrival of a peace that says that it is a peace that is supernatural and that is self-giving. It's a peace that says it is not dependent on somebody else. Love is God's open arms towards us, prodigal son. The one who created all the chaos, and yet it's the Father who opens his arms to the chaos and takes it all in. God willing to embarrass God's self for you. Advent calls us back to a love that is radical. A love that, call, a love that calls us into this year, at the, this year in which we've probably done some bad things, in which we've probably said some bad things, in which we've probably created some chaos in and of itself. We're not all perfect and we know that. We haven't loved everybody the way we should have. We haven't brought peace when we should have. And yet Advent is the moment that we're called back to God to be reminded that it was God who initiated peace for us. And it's God in the midst of the year, however it's been, who opens his arms once again and says, come to me, fill my peace, fill my compassion, fill my love. And so that's our call today. Our call today is to run into the open arms of the peace of God and fill that peace, hold on to that peace, realize that it's only through God and in God that we can have that peace. Brian Zahn, in his short devotional book called The Anticipated Christ, writes about this. He says this about this season. He says, We are returning from our exile in sin. We are rethinking our ways of idolatry and injustice. We are preparing our hearts for the arrival of our true king. This is exactly what we are doing during Advent. We're preparing our hearts for a new arrival of Christ in our lives. And he finishes it with this. He says, We are lifting up the valleys of our low view of others. We are bringing down the mountains of pride. We are smoothing out our rough and uncharitable attitudes, all in preparation to receive the word of God into our lives in a new way. And I think that's what it is. In this Advent season, we encounter and witness a love that brings peace through no conditions, through no pound of flesh, through no demands. That doesn't say it's us versus them. It's God who makes the move towards us and says, encounter my peace and realize there's a supernatural peace that even in the midst of your most tumultuous times, you can have and know that you are who you are in my peace, not because of someone else. You don't have to blame work or a neighbor or a situation or the TV because that's not what we live by anymore. And by the way, people who have this kind of peace see differently, talk differently, work differently. And it's funny because when that happens, and you've probably done this before, you can feel it as well. You can feel around them something different, something less anxious, something less stressful. And it's all because Christ came for you and for me, offering peace to all humankind. That's the kind of peace I need right now. In the midst of a December in which just gets crazy, let's be honest, schedules get crazy. I need to encounter that peace. Not a peace that says, if I can just check one more thing off my list, I'll feel better. But a peace that says, even if I don't check this one more thing off my list, I'll be okay. And if I don't make this one person happy this month, 
I'll be okay. I think that's what we're looking for. If you need that, if you need that today, uh, we have people around you who can pray for you. We have people who will listen to you. But if you need peace today, come now as we stand and as we sing.